welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> all right, welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the wonderful low baritone voice of myself, Dean. It's not really. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, I'm here with co-host Lizzie, and we're joined today by the wonderful man Matt Stenzel from Axiom or Axiom, Axiom Massage. Axiom. Thank you for uh, jumping on the podcast. No dramas, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Now I know Matt that you are a wicked powerlifter. You also work in massage, and can you give the audience an idea of what else you do with your time? Um, what else? Even PG, Matt. PG. Well, it's definitely going to be PG. I'm super boring. <laughs> <laughs> like I spend most of my time, I suppose, lifting dominates so much of it. Like whether it's working in the clinic and um, kind of talking about lifting or I'm in the gym or I'm looking at my own stuff, lifting's probably the number one thing I'm doing. Um, I mean, besides that, Maddie and I, we, we walk our dog heaps. Henry's pretty much our child. <laughs> and, uh, and I read a lot. I read a lot of fantasy books, like just to get away, I think. It's always been something I've done. But that's, that's probably the other thing that I do. And there's not too much else. I'm a pretty chill guy. Okay, well, that's a lot. Still. Matt is possibly one of the most humble powerlifters. Actually, you know, it's a funny thing. Like me coming from a bodybuilding background, the powerlifters are generally far more humble than bodybuilders. And I think that's because you live in such an objective sport where like you yeah. either can lift X number or you can't, right? You can't debate like whether or not you look prettier than the other person. But you're probably one of the most humble ones in that you don't really ever talk about your accolades or what you can achieve. So maybe we'll pull those out of you eventually. But just for the viewers at home so they know who you are, mate. Uh, who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Um, who I am? Well, uh, that's deep. Mm. Yeah. Who are you at the core? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just professionally we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess I'm a business owner. I own Axiom Performance Recovery where we work with lifters, mostly weight training people or people in sports who, who are training with weights, I guess is our, our target thing. Um, I've been powerlifting myself since I was about 15. And um, I guess lifting's kind of crafted a lot of who I am. It's turned me into someone who's pretty process-driven. Um, the kind of lessons you need to learn through lifting are that you can't, well, you can't fake anything. Like you said, it's all kind of be going to come down to hard work and following the process. And that's been kind of, I guess, who I am. I, I, I follow that with most things. Um, yeah, in, in, in lifting, I've been doing it a long time. And I'm definitely not a naturally talented person at it, but I, I kind of just try and apply new new knowledge I've got, seek help where I can, and just get better over time. Um, and what I do, yeah, we I guess our job is just to keep lifters lifting and remove disruptions to training. Um, these days, I definitely get more out of that than my own like satisfaction from PBs and stuff. Training is where I enjoy it. Lifting competitions is kind of a fun thing, but I definitely enjoy watching our clients compete the most. Yeah, that's interesting. It's good. It's a good trait to have. I think when you're you get sort of perked up by other people's successes just because you've had a small role in it. Yeah, I'll probably yeah, say the same. Like, man, I still have like those. Like, Liz laughs at me and she says that I'm. What do you say? I'm emotionally devoid. No, no, I say that you're emotional. <laughs> well, you are emotionally devoid. I call him emotionally shallow, which maybe isn't an insult if I say it to his face, mm. right? Like, it if sounds, it's, <laughs> it sounds like it is. But the, the point of this is like I'm pretty neutral, right? Like I don't really go up or down in my emotions. I'm pretty neutral. Uh, not a lot affects me, but I, I weirdly get super uh, emotional and like goosebumpy when I watch children do well in talent shows and on talent shows in general, for some reason, like there's something about seeing people succeed that like really gets me going. And yeah. I'm still the same, man. I'll sit back and watch somebody compete and I'll see them walk out. And I'm like, Oh, and then I get like that, that, goosebumpy, weird sexual fetish that goosebumpy shiver <laughs> up my spine. So I get way more out of that than even my own too. I think. And I feel like if you've been doing this like bodybuilding or powerlifting for long enough, you, it becomes a blend of experiences. You've done it before and it, it worked this time the same way as last time or something happened different and that's why it didn't work. And if you get so deep on the process of how it works, it can take some of the emotion out of it, I think. Mm. Um, whereas when I watch someone who this means everything to them, like, and most people haven't been doing it that long, so they haven't kind of maybe lost that like crazy excitement that comes. And I just get caught up in it. It's the best feeling ever watching people like, yeah, especially if you've been a hand in it. You know, if someone's like a couple of months out of a comp, they, they're thinking they can't do it or something is that that's a common problem for them pops up and you manage to help. That's freaking awesome feeling. Yeah. So how did this lead you into massage? 
well, I, I guess I started lifting at 15. The first experience I had with massage was, was uh, my mum bought me a voucher at this place because <laughs> I used to live in Lennox Head and Lennox is like a really, I guess, near Byron Bay, so it's kind of hippie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my dad's like, <laughs> he comes up to me, he's like, you know what massage is like, right? I don't want to stress you out, but if you get anything happens, any like, like boners, Matt, <laughs> you can't like, don't stress out like you're gonna be all right it's natural perfectly natural and i'm stressing out because i'm 15 and then i'm looking <laughs> and i'm freaking out and it's literally nothing like that but there are like you know m- music that's really chill and like water and candles and i'm like this is not really for me uh that was my first experience and i stayed away from massage for ages after that because my dad traumatized the shit out of me <laughs> But and you then, don't have much control over your boners at a young age. Not at 15. So I could imagine there's just like a random bone. Like I'm patting a puppy right now. Like why is this happening? So- <laughs> it's not like that. But it, yeah. <laughs> and then the next time I got treatment, I was, I'd been lifting for a few years and I had some pain in my shoulder. And I saw this lady who was really recommended in town. And she just needled my front delt and it just fixed it. And at that time I was like, why would you touch something that hurts? Let alone put a needle in it. Yeah. Um, and so when it happened, I was like, oh, I can bench again. This is crazy. Because at the time, I was just running like smaller back-to-back, which is a really high volume, not really a program program. Um, and it just helped heaps. And I thought, okay, this has got some validity to it. And I kind of just, after that, I thought, I wanted to learn massage for myself to know like what's going on, why. Because I knew I wanted to lift. It was pretty much the only thing I really knew about myself uh, at that time. I'd been to uni and I, I just wanted to learn about health. Uh, but uni was kind of too hectic. So hmm. I did a massage course and I, yeah, mostly for myself and to understand, but then I was like, okay, this is actually really useful and no one's doing it like powerlifters. And at this time, I guess I moved to Brisbane in 2012. There was no culture of getting treatment done. And I thought it was crazy. Yeah. You know, we're one of the most repetitive strain sports you can have and, and no one's doing this. Mm. It just mad to me. Um, people would just deal with pain because it was a given. Now, um, are you discounting all the lovely Thai ladies, Matt? That I'm not discounting. There's, there's <laughs> many benefits to massage. <laughs> what I was thinking there, though, is just like, okay, you said this life, so this childhood fear of getting a, an erection mid-massage. So now his, his um, counter, uh, sort of counter uh, action as the masseuse is to just inflict lots of pain so that <laughs> nobody gets erections in his room. <laughs> Unless you're into Until that. Until you get a weirdo. Then you know you're in trouble. It's a self-defense mechanism for sure. Yeah. Now, Matt, on uh, my Dr. Google search, I've, I Googled what people think the benefits of massage are, uh, and I've come up with some good ones. So I want to read them to you. And I thought maybe you could let us know which ones you think actually are benefits of massage. Yep. Um, and which ones perhaps are not. So where are we? Reduction of stress hormones, uh, increased joint mobility and flexibility, improved skin tone, improved recovery of soft tissue injuries, heightened mental awareness, reduced muscle tension. There's a few more, but let's just go with that so far. Mm. What are your thoughts? Um, I can't speak to the, the, the hormones one, like the stress hormones, but I mean, it's obviously one of the most like the, the most relaxing thing someone can do if that's what they're doing. Um, I actually think there is some validity to just putting some time aside. It's kind of like a meditation or a float tank. I think for some people, it's not really what we do, but um, I do think there's a real benefit for people who live crazy lives and actually just need to chill and get in touch with their body for a second. Um, I think even for lifters lying down and getting worked on, you're like, holy shit, that actually is worse than I thought. And you don't notice it when you just live in life. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, improving range of motion, uh, flexibility, not really. It's not really like that's going to come through time and, and, and really stretching and exploring new ranges. But um, uh, tissue healing, I think, is important. That's one thing we can work with. It's just more blood flow. And, um, but yeah, really the, the big benefits of massage that we see is kind of improving range of motion and reducing trigger points and, and pain that's going to stop you and disrupt the next training session. Um, yeah. But there is room for like post injury management as well. I think. Hmm. Yeah, you're really in the sports massage uh, genre, I suppose, which is important for us to highlight quickly. Whereas some of these benefits may be more so from uh, the typical relaxation type sensual yeah. massage. Yeah. Sensual. Uh, I would imagine that there's 
lots of people that aren't isolated in the sense that they live in a big city, but they may like live alone and not have a partner and never be touched. So maybe not for you in sports massage, but for people giving like more relaxation massages, perhaps one of the benefits for them is that they actually get to have human contact, which um, could be made to sound sexual, but I don't mean that at all. Uh, And I think that's really important for mental health, but maybe not for sports massage. Let me read you a few other um, benefits according to Google. It can support people with chronic disease and life-threatening illness, such as cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, insomnia, anxiety, depression, uh, and DOMS. Hmm, DOMS is an interesting one. Can I get I think, you to zoom in on DOMS there? I think the DOMS thing, I think that that's pretty, that's pretty cracked at this point with DOMS, where with foam rolling, the evidence is it just desensitizes the skin. And makes it so comparatively, after you roll, you're not as sore because the rolling was more painful. <laughs> I think there's there's that. Um, I think you know the best thing for doms we all know ourselves is just train again and get more blood flow back to that area and have an active recovery session. And I think massage probably has some validity in getting that blood flow there. But I think the main thing, honestly, for doms is like it's just that skin sensitivity going away because you've just made it more sore for a while. You know. Mm. Yeah, and I don't. Well, I mean, realistically, massage could be could be manual a manual warm up essentially too, or a manual warm down. Yeah, yeah, but that's not. Um, I mean, to be honest, man, massage isn't a cheap thing that you could just do every time you get dom. So that's not what we try to get people to come in for. That there's stuff you can do on your own to get those benefits. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, so what would you get people to come in for? Um, I guess our. Uh, what we get people to come in for mostly it's, it's managing like, you know, injuries for a powerlifter or a bodybuilder or someone who's training with weights. It's not usually a, like a moment. It's not really a traumatic event. It's usually going to be some build up over time because we're doing repetitive motions uh, and isolating systems and, and different muscles at, at times. So that's usually going to mean we're going to get injuries that are going to stop us from training, but you wouldn't really be able to scan it and be like, yeah, you've got a thing. So we try to jump in in that point uh, and it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, in the case of powerlifting, you know, squat, bench and deadlift, those three lifts don't work well, well with each other and they weren't chosen because they're totally great for your body. They were just chosen. Mm. So they, you know, the squat, you're going to have really jacked up arms after squatting low bar and then if you're meant to bench tomorrow, well, you're probably going to make that a little worse and have some, some pain down your arm and through your shoulder. Then you've got a deadlift after that and your back might be all jacked up from arching. So we try and jump in in that stage and like help with tissue quality and removing trigger points and stuff so that people can get through their next sessions and disrupt that kind of cumulative injury cycle a little bit. Um, So I guess there's validity at any time through a training cycle for a competition, but also post-injury as well. Um, If somebody has had a big tear, there's, uh, you know, something that actually is big or beside us, for example, like there are muscular things you can work on to help with that shoulder in a position that they can actually then do the rehab that they need to do, the exercise that's going to help. Um, so I think massage helps to create a window for you to do rehab work at times as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, how kind of frequently or at what stage would you encourage people to come in for massage? Because it's not like, you know, they're kind of getting jacked up this and that and they'll come in once. What sort of frequency would you recommend for people? We pretty much, so because we see most people who, who lift, or most of our clients people who lift, so we try to get people to, if they're, if they're training, just make an appointment once a month. Uh, if people have a training, like, and we see a lot of the top end guys in Brisbane too, and, and they come in way more frequently because they have stuff. You know, they've, they've got a thing they're working on and it doesn't actually go away. Over the course of the training cycle, whatever movement pattern you've got that's created a, a problem, you're not going to change it. You, you can't, you've got to continue on the cycle and trajectory you've had. Yeah. So if you've got a bench technique or a squat technique that's going to constantly overload, you know, your anterior hips or like a rotator cuff or something, then managing that is going to be an important part um, because you can't change the technique or you'll just get way weaker. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's about just managing the, the thing or the symptom or whatever, not so much making it go away, but maybe stopping it from stopping you in your tracks. Yeah, that's a, I think in the early stages, it's more about what I was saying earlier about helping to create a window so that you can, if you've got a really anterior tilted scap, it's really difficult to do the technique correctly, even if you know what the technique looks like. 
for a good bench press with like a locked back shoulder blade. Mm. So we help try and take tension off like the upper trap and like your Terry's major and stuff and the pec that's going to help get you back naturally into a position so you can actually achieve what will help you in the long term. Yeah, but when it does yeah. get to late stages, it's definitely just a management process of symptomatic relief. Mm. Yeah, you're in a really interesting um, sport where especially when you're getting into that sort of specificity of peak phase for a contest prep that you're forced to do the three lifts like yeah, dude. Like you yeah. said, you're not going to change movement patterns then. You really just need to manage all of the variables. Yeah. And you can't yeah, even change the way you do it. You've got to keep doing it that way. Even mm. if you know already, this is not good for my long-term progress. You just, you're four weeks out, you're pulling a max tomorrow. It yeah. is how it is. It's so different to bodybuilding because if you're trying to build your legs as a bodybuilder and a squat's not working for you, you can move to lunges, leg press, something else. But with powerlifting, you have to do those three lifts. For sure. I have this chat with a lot of bodybuilders. I actually don't think anyone really, if you own a body, uh, like a powerlifter, I don't think a barbell bench press is a great idea. <laughs> I feel like it's just fraught with, with, with issues. Um, to do it correctly, you, you're going to have to have pretty good shoulder control and you're going to need a little bit of an arch as well to encourage the thoracic position. That can hurt people's lower backs if they've got one uh, that's hurting already. Or um, if you just did it with dumbbells and let yourself kind of rotate how you need to, you're going to, you're going to avoid all that and get all the benefits as well. Yeah, but yeah, I benched the dumbbells last night <laughs> and my total between the two dumbbells was uh, 50 kilos. Yeah. I warm up on 60 kilos with a barbell. So it's like way better for my ego to bench with a barbell. I get it. <laughs> but your ego is also super supportive of in, in causing injuries. <laughs> So I was like, motherfucker, I should just move to a barbell. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, do it anyway, because it's fun. And like, who doesn't ask like, how much do you bench when you're a bodybuilder? Right. Yeah. So like, or when you're at a festival. Oh my God. The most annoying question that I get from non-lifters is how much weight do you lift? I'm like, which exercise? How many reps? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we went to Falls Festival recently with the big man, Will Crozier. Oh, dude. That's oh, air, depending on who you are, speak to as well. <laughs> And I shit you not, he had at least two people say, hey, bro, do you lift? Not what do you lift, so, but do you lift? And he, went, those, and he kind of just went, ah, yeah, sometimes. Like, <laughs> those that aren't aware of Will Crozer, he's 120-odd kilos at the moment with yeah. traps that start at his lower bum and end at the top of his cranium. <laughs> he's very lean, 120 as well. Like, the dude looks like a walking walnut. He looks like an animal at the moment. I get that question all the time in the clinic, and it's hurtful, for sure. <laughs> But I don't look like Will, so I understand. Like, you're, you're the that's what I'm saying. You're the, like the, the modest, silent, humble killer. Oh, but also my traps aren't starting in my bum and going to my ears. So it is objectively also true. Yeah, his traps are on a whole new world. I actually, yeah. I should, you know what, I was standing. So Will was facing me. I was looking back up towards the hill towards him and it was dark. And you could, he'd taken his shirt off and he didn't want to take his shirt off during the day because he had a squat bar mark on his back and he just didn't want to have to say like what it was for. Yeah. But you could see this, you know, like this, this mountain of trap just in the dark shadows. And I shit you not, <laughs> as I look up, a light flashed on a guy and it like, so it's flashed on Will's face. It's created shadow. And the guy behind him just goes to his mate, Oi, look at that guy's traps. <laughs> and then, and then the lights went out and then it just continued back to everybody dancing. That's <laughs> so cool for sure. Oh, that's funny. But, <laughs> but uh, you mentioned the word trigger point or the phrase trigger point before. Could you talk people through like what that is? Because I think it's a bit of a, it's somewhat contentious maybe, but not really sure what it is. So I'm kind of interested to unpick it. Yeah. Well, most of the trigger point uh, kind of evidence I've looked at has been through dry needling courses because they really, uh, that's our highest dose of work we can do on a trigger point, like way more than putting a thumb in it or something like that. Um, but a trigger point's been described as like the central part of the like a taut band of a muscle. So the concept is there's an area inside the muscle that's like specifically got a bit of a like a contraction to it, which conceptually doesn't make much sense to us as we think of a muscle uh, fiber being one continuous length. But there's this idea of this like central part of the that muscle band that's got a contracted area. Um, so in some of the studies I've seen, you can, uh, you can see the trigger point on this special kind of ultrasound. And when you needle it, there's like a minimum dose of this three twitch responses that you would get when you put a needle into a trigger point, which is like a neurological kind of reflex. And you can't control it. Usually people spasm and they say sorry or something, but it's not something you can control. Um, and it leaves you pretty achy, but it's, um, 
because you're stabbing it, basically, there's a needle wound, it's causing heaps of blood flow. That nervous, uh, that reaction is meant to be some kind of change inside of what's causing it to stay so tight like that. So it's one of those things where they know that dry needling works. They can see these trigger points. They know that dry needling works, but they don't yet know kind of the, the process of what exactly chemically and electronically, I suppose, is going on when you do do that. But they've observed that these three twitches over, I think, three sessions uh, reduced an upper trap trigger point by a huge percentage. Yeah. I, uh, when I was oh, 17 or 18, so a long time ago now, I got some trigger point work done down the side of my leg and didn't really know much about anything at the time. And one of them really hurt when yeah. the needle went in. So I went to kind of like play kick my practitioner and be like, ow, that hurts. And I lifted up my leg. I had this like this line of them all up my leg, lifted up my leg to kick him and I was like frozen in the air. <laughs> oh, it really yeah. hurts. Don't do that, anyone who's listening. Well, I went to a chiropractor years ago and he was needling through my forearm. And uh, I said, like, can I move? Because I accidentally did. And he's like, yeah, man, it's just more stimulus. Just move like this. And um, I've never been taught to do that with anyone, but he seemed unafraid of me moving with these needles inside. And I guess it's just more stimulus again. Mm. You know? I wonder if that would matter on the, that would the hurt type of muscle so you put it in. Though. You know, like forearm muscles, like they're kind of like tightly wound. They've got really short muscle fibers. Like maybe you don't get as much sort of stretch reflex kicking in. But if you put it in like an elongated hamstring, and said, yeah, flex that, I'd be interested to know if there'd be a variance. Maybe the needle would just, like, fling out and, like... I've shot one out of my adductor before. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about, so, uh, differences between acupuncture and dry needling? Well, acupuncture, this is a contentious one because I, with acupuncture, the stipulation is they're working on energy systems through your body mm. as these meridians and these special points. And a lot of them correlate to trigger points that we know that we've mapped out on the body. Um, like there's one in your upper trap and I think it's gallbladder 21 is what they call it, but it's really exactly where you would put a needle for an upper trap trigger point. Um, the, the thing I think that's important to know about acupuncture is that those points are correlated, not just to pain there, but also to organs through your body. So they've got a lot of Eastern medicine ideas around it, but with dry needling, it's purely a Western concept and we're talking about treating and dealing with the, tissue quality of that muscle and the referral pain that we've mapped that comes from that. So there's a, a lady did some work, I think in the eighties, Janet Travell, and she was, uh, she mapped out trigger points in your body. There's heaps and heaps of them. And if you press on them and this is, you know, you could reproduce this with pretty much anybody where the pain would result from having pressed on that. And it's usually produced pain somewhere else. So a really common one that I spoke about earlier was like infraspinalis in the back of your shoulder. It'll give you some anterior shoulder pain in the, in the front of your shoulder, even though it's on the back. Mm. Um, so we're really in, in dry needling trying to treat that referral pain and reduce these trigger points. Uh, but with acupuncture, they can be working on health or uh, fertility or they can help with a cold or seasickness or yeah, very different things. One thing that's common in acupuncture is that you can work really distally from the problem itself and still get a result. Um, there's not, yeah, there's a lot of pushback from, especially in the US and the physio world at the moment, trying to get dry needling to be in the realm of physiotherapy and the acupuncture associations are really fighting back to say, no, needling is our world. Ooh. But uh, there's, yeah, a lot of emerging stuff now to say, no, this is actually just another way of treating trigger points, just the same as an elbow. Uh, or a thumb, but we can use needles as well because we're treating musculoskeletal issues, not just these health problems. Yeah, right. So as somebody who gets uh, motion sick just from looking at a car move, I'd be interested to hear how uh, needling can help with motion sickness because you just mentioned that before. Man, I don't think it does. That's, oh, right. Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, that's the acupuncture theory. Yeah. Right, right, right. So you can fix general health ailments with, with a very specific point that may be unrelated to any type of um, pain. Whereas with uh, dry needling, you're going into the specified section of pain or to a section that's associated with a referral. Right. Point. That makes sense. Cool. My so, mind was blown. I'm like, no way. Yeah, do um, <laughs> How? Uh, So with the trigger points, I was always under the assumption, and this may be incorrect now that I've heard you, that trigger points could be specific to a particular area that you may be able to find as the practitioner. But are you saying that most trigger points that most people would hit with the dry needling are still somewhat predetermined? Well, I mean, as a general idea there, I mean, I guess in saying that there's going to be some variance obviously, but there is, there is truth to that 
if say if you're looking at an upper trap, it's basically in the middle of your upper trap, just a little bit back, depending on like hypertrophy and things like that. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the biggest variance for us. But in most people, you'll find that trigger point in the middle of the upper trap on someone, uh, not necessarily closer to like the edge of the shoulder up in your neck, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hypertrophy really changes that. So that's, I think, part of what makes um, it really important to have really good palpation skills when we're working with people who actually train because it's not the same as it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So you are directing your trigger point in response to palpation. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you can even elicit that trigger point or that twitch response just by touching on the right spot. You can see a little movement. Um, and you can also just feel like this is where it's like way more kind of contracted the hardest part of that muscle. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, what's the sort of, uh, time to affect on something like a trigger point? Like how long can people expect it to benefit them in regards to like improving range of motion or a reduction in pain? Yeah, I think, I mean, initially there's actually going to be, it'll be a little worse. Like most of the time people feel pretty bad. Mm. It leaves you pretty heavy. You feel like you've just trained really, really hard on that muscle. Um, but if we, if you really get the right spot with it, if you've, if you've got say anterior shoulder pain, literally it's just from the infraspinatus problem. There's no mechanical kind of inflammation or anything overload. It's just that. I mean, that can be like until you flare it up again, it can be mm-hmm. super effective like that. Um, there's been times it's just over straight away, problem, problem solved. But I mean, again, typically with the populations that we see, it's, it's a mechanistic issue that's overloading that. It's not like, uh, yeah, it's not just like, oh, I just wound up this way after I slept funny. It's like, yeah, I've been benching this way for 10 years. So Yeah, so you get a momentary relief, then they go back bench the same way, then you give them, and you're essentially yeah. playing that cycle until they can actually look at changing their, their biomechanics. Yeah, when they take that's, it. That's been a big part of, I guess, like why uh, people come to the clinic is because we all lift there. We, we have a good concept of how this is meant to be, and we, we know the correlation between the pains that we've also felt and the movements we've tried to do and, and the mistakes we've made. So guiding people through those so that they don't have to do it themselves or directing them to someone who could correct their technique is a big part of what we do. Yeah. 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 So as someone who uses their hands for work a lot um, and someone who uses their hands to lift, um, I don't massage anyone, um, yeah. but I lift and my hands and forearms are always like jacked and sore because I'm always gripping. So how does that work for you where you're always using your hands for work, but then you're also lifting? Like how do your forearms and hands go? I have some pretty consistent forearm issues. Um, If I'm not not careful, I'll overload my flexors pretty, pretty quickly and get like kind of golfer's elbow a lot. Mm. Um, The the biggest issue I've got is my hands are in sore bling oil like all day. And then I got to go deadlift and it's literally just, it just comes off. Like my hand just peels open the skin comes off. It's, it's crap. Um, but I'm also like Wolverine because my hands are constantly in sore bling. They heal really fast. Oh, good. And I'm ready to tear them again next week, which is fantastic. Um, but so recently, the, the biggest change I've made is I've I I don't I stopped working Saturdays this week this year um, for the purpose of deadlifting on Sunday. So I've got a whole day of not being in that, so I can drying them out. Drying them out, man. I've done stuff like soaking in metho, and that really helped. Oh, fuck. Uh, all right. It sounds extreme, but like it's been the biggest, like there's the difference between my deadlift with straps and without is like 50 kilos, which is just wow. like comp winningly different. You can't. Do you have calluses? Yeah. Yeah. Really thick, but they're like alive. You know how people get calluses in their dead skin? Mine are like lumps of living skin, if that makes sense. Right. You need to, need to, check talk your hands to some, you. you need to talk to some investor and get it painted second skin hands for masseuses. Mm, I like if it. You, if you wear a glove or something like that, like not to, to train with, cause I'd be killed by my friends, but <laughs> to work with. And I've considered doing that, but like, it's just not the, you can't palpate the same. It would get in the way of the job. And yeah, I was going to say, you would literally like that tactile sensation on your fingers is yeah. like nothing else. Right. <laughs> yeah. It'd have to be something extremely impressive. It would have to be like thin, thin, second skin. Yeah, far away. It would be mainly here. Uh, for those not watching on YouTube but listening, uh, I'm talking about just the palm, right? It's just like your palm that you have issues with, not your actual fingers? It's both. Um, but, oh. yeah, most of, my, most of my palm, I'd say. Yeah. Right. What about getting some sort of like hand condom where your fingers are free? Right, so it's just like something wrapped around your. So I'm saying, second skin, though, like literally, like we're talking, like but Tony, not for the fingers. No, Tony Stark esque, like you put your hand into a little thing, it just goes <laughs> and sucks on a second skin for the day while he's working, and then he just peels oh, it off. Get on that. Man. 
we've just ruined it. Some rich motherfuckers just taken my. <laughs> He's painted it already. Bad, man. I think there's many of us who do have these problems. I could just be sick of explaining to each client that I don't think they are diseased, but I'm doing this because, and you just have to like, just record it once and press play for like, yeah. I just imagine that if you actually walked into the room and you had that traditional moment where you put the glove on and it snaps, you know, you hear that, (laughs) hear that. And then immediately the person that goes, yep, I'm getting an erection today. <laughs> Has anyone ever asked you for a happy ending during a massage? Come on, sports massage. No, I don't know. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. I have had times where, like when I first started, I would, I, you always do this thing where you say, can I, I'm just going to leave the room. I'll let you get changed and jump down the table. And when I was really young, this lady who I was working in, I was working in Ballina at this supplement store actually. And um, I knocked on the door. I'm like, you're covered up. She said, yeah, all good. And I come in and she's just holding a towel like this with nothing on. <laughs> and, and like, I don't know how old I was. Must have been like, must have been like 19, 20 or something like that. Was she I, a similar like, age? Hey? Was she a similar age? Nah, she was a bit older than me. Okay. Um, but old enough that I was stressed, really. Like, I was, I was stressed about it. And I was like, I got to go. She's like, oh, I don't care. I just wasn't sure how to lie down. I said, oh, I really care. Like, so now I like triple knock on the door and make sure people are all covered up. Yeah. But you know, she just had to la- lay down on a table. What is yeah, she talking she about? Yeah, she definitely just had a moment where she wanted to see if your eyes lit up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got teary probably from stress. So <laughs> <laughs> that's outrageous. But you know, women though in the industry, they have a huge drum with that. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't matter how professional you make your clinic look or how much your social media reflects that you're literally working with sports people. Jess, who, who works with us, she's had people message her before saying, like, do you do happy endings? I'm like, are you kidding? Like, it's, it's crazy to think that that's still happening. Oh, my God. One, fuck you to anyone who does that. And secondly, she should just be like, yeah, I give a sports massage happy ending. Good fucking luck. Like, <laughs> that's like a, a dry needle, that shit. Like, but you yeah. know what? There's um, plenty of women who would do that and make it quite obvious that they do. Yeah. I would be pretty offended if I was her who's like very professional and isn't putting out those vibes. Like, are you fucking serious, mate? Yeah, it's just a secret. Yeah. And it doesn't happen in person, you know, but yeah. it's definitely just more prevalent with women. People, yeah, men are just weird. There's the perceptions about massage. They don't really understand, like, what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, they've got people's dads telling them they're going to get erections at the age of 15, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, for failure, really. And what do you do as a 15-year-old with an erection? Yeah, a plus B equals C. <laughs> Um, no, no, back on topic. I, um, I think you came into your industry of powerlifting at a, like a fairly interesting time. It was probably around the same time. I think that powerlifters also started to take nutrition more seriously. And like in the last, like, cause when did, when did Axiom start? Uh, I guess we opened the clinic in three and a half years ago, but I've been already doing my own thing since yeah 2012. Yeah. Yeah, it's like really sort of boomed because I know like whenever I talk to people about trying to get in with you, you guys are always busy and there's like new staff and um, it's really cool to see that powerlifters have started to shift from the whole typical old school mindset of like I'm a big burly man who just lifts heavy shit to now I'm very athlete minded and they are doing, you know, both restorative work with people like yourself but also preventative work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the nutrition thing, uh, it's something that kicked on maybe a little bit even later than that because there was a lot of guys like, back in the day around that 2012 time there weren't too many sources online to talk about this kind of stuff and we had like dave tate and the guys from elite fts saying like just pour some olive oil over your pizza and get the calories in like at that time it was about what can you lift not really this weight class thing we didn't really mind so much how heavy are you it was like what do you lift full stop mm-hmm. about uh, and then suddenly i guess in australia around yeah it would have been not too long after that we started having big competitions where weight classes mattered and social media started getting crazy and celebrating that like guys were light and strong. Uh, and so suddenly they had to get lean and, and optimize their, their um, body composition because that's just muscle you could have had. Yeah. Um, and I think with the growth of powerlifting naturally came the need of stuff like better diet or dietary protocols. Yeah. It's been good to watch though. Yeah, absolutely. If people care about how much muscle they have, which directly correlates to how much they can lift, then they should care about their body fat percentage because you're not going to grow muscle optimally if you're overweight. Well, not overweight, over fat, I should say. Mm. Um, I've never done a powerlifting competition, but I have done a strongman competition. And I was like quite appalled by the nutrition culture within strongman. 
It's about, um, oh, what are you eating salad for? You're a strong man. Like, don't you? And so the gym would actually, um, it was great gym, by the way. So not knocking the gym, just the nutrition culture. Hey? Like you don't make friends with salad. Right. (laughs) Um, and the gym would order in pastries to the gym and everyone would like eat pastries while they train. And they just had this, like, like if you, I hate the P O O F word, but like you're a poof if you eat a salad and people yeah. were kind of like kind of bullied for caring about their health, their, not just their health, but also like trying not to be over fat. Mm. Um, yeah. and it was like, Oh, if you want to lift more, that means that you should eat all these highly palatable, highly processed foods and that's just not the case not to say that they're bad but Mm. you know in the context of a diet full of whole foods that's calorie controlled it Mm. has a place but that shouldn't be the diet um does that kind of ring true or have any resemblance to powerlifting yeah exactly that i mean i'm still learning about diet it's something that i've gotten a lot better at over the years and probably i've learned a lot of it just through through clients that I've seen and, and hearing from them what they've been working on. Um, I mean, body composition is a huge thing, but you've also got other stuff. Like if you're, I mean, I had a guy just yesterday I was having a chat to who's just not been tracking his food recently. He's eating way less than what he thought and his strength's gone to shit mm. and he, because he just wasn't tracking. And I thought, yeah, this isn't the problem most people have. It's usually trying to lose weight, but you just have to be on this stuff. You can't, you can't muck around with it. But to what you were saying, uh, less these days, but still happens. A few years ago, we had a big nationals comp, and I remember this lady did this huge cut. She barely made weight. She'd been eating fucking awesome, awesome, healthy food, probably just greens and fuck all carbs for however long, and gets to weigh in, weighs in, immediately smashes a shit ton of cupcakes and stuff. Oh. And and then she had the worst comp ever, and, and she's like, oh, I just cut too much weight. And it's like, man, you, you didn't manage your energy. You didn't manage like how your gut would have been feeling. You'd been so bloated from not eating that and then suddenly having it all. Yeah. It just, there's a, it's still emerging how important this stuff is, especially post weigh-in. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's crazy how people don't realize. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of different ways we can go about eating, right? So if I just relate this to training, we can either train really hard or we can train really smart. And the person that puts in more effort because they're training really hard isn't necessarily going to get a better outcome. You need to train smart. You need to program effectively. Make sure your recovery is in check, your nutrition. Like, There's so much more to training smart. But some, and I think that's pretty obvious to most people. They know they need a sound training program and things to like accessorize with it. Um, but with nutrition, sometimes people seem to just forget that, that it's not about just dieting hard like this lady, just like greens and no carbs and, and protein. It's about dieting smart oh i think there's a company that has a tagline diet smart not hard do you know them um because if she did that then she would have been able to have a cupcake a day if she wanted to and not felt heavily restricted and you know her prep uh into comp may have gone better and then she wouldn't have smashed a box of donuts after because she wasn't so deprived imagine squatting yeah. on a box of cupcakes but i yeah. That's, I suppose that's a, a whole kettle of fish that's for another podcast, the old nutrition concept of, of lifting yeah. and performance. I think because it's um, like, you know, you lift, you see what you do. It, mm. There's an immediate feedback mechanism there that's going on that tells you whether or not it's a successful day or an unsuccessful day. Yeah. With somebody who's in a weight category-based lifting uh, sport, like if you just miss food one day, it doesn't really look like it accumulates and then miss two days and then you miss three days. And before mm. you know it, the average over time is worse. But yeah. yeah. Do you... Um, do you find that you're more preventative or more uh, reactive and management in powerlifting with your uh, massage? In terms of for, my, for myself or for clients, man? For clients, yeah, for the people you, you yeah. do. Um, I, there's a definite mix. I think for me at this point, because uh, I've just been around for so long, I've got a lot of people who are on a really rigid schedule when they come in and I've only got like so many hours that I'm treating in the clinic. Um, and so I don't have too many much room for new people who are probably coming in as a reactive concept, you know? Um, but even still like every single week, someone's coming in and they're like, Hey man, this is, this is a thing I've been dealing with and it's been around for ages and you know, I've tried stuff. Nothing's really helped. Um, I, but I do think, yeah, I want to, I try to get people to understand really quickly that you want to avoid these disruptions, not just accept them when they come and deal with them quickly, but do the best you can to avoid them. Um, so yeah, I guess management and prevention is really where I come in the most. 
When people come to us, there seems to be some common misconceptions or ideas that don't really align with what we do. Um, when people come to you, is there anything that pops up all the time where you're like, oh, let's address that. That's not really the case or that's not what massage is for. Mm. Um, I mean, the biggest misconception about with us is that, well, we're physios. So there's a lot of, so sometimes we'll have people asking us like, um, yeah, for protocols around like eccentric loading for tendon strength and things like that. And there can be some, I guess in terms of massage, they don't really understand. Uh, scope of practice. Hey, the scope of practice. They don't understand. They that. don't understand the scope of practice, and I think that's probably just because of we don't really do much marketing. So there's a lot of people who've said this really helped, and so they're like, oh, they're problem solvers. They'll they'll solve this problem. But there are times when solving the problem is like actually go get that scan and see this dude. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think by the time someone comes into our clinic, they've already heard about us from a bunch of places. They, they pretty much know what we're about. We don't really come into too many people with misconceptions around massage. Okay. Yeah. It's helpful. It's an interesting comment because uh, we listened to a few different podcasts here and then one recently was from uh, Eric Helms and, and uh, Omar Isif. They do uh, a, pod, a podcast called Iron Culture. Mm. And Eric was uh, essentially talking about where like 3DMJ, which is a company that he works for, works with or is a part of I'm not really sure certain where where he's in the ownership part of that um but yeah and how when they started out it was about education and information and you know people would come to them and have to tell them what they're all about and all the rest of it but as the years progress and you get better and better at your skill set and you get more and more referrals essentially your clientele starts to filter itself mm-hmm. so that you actually then start to receive clientele that are suited to you because of the people that have referred them because of the issues that they have and the success that you've had with other clients. So yeah. you, you're likely not getting those people with the misconceptions of what you offer because it's kind of being self-filtered because you're so busy and effective. Yeah. There has been something, something weird that's occurred because we've like, you know, Google obviously advertises you to local people. Um, we, we sometimes get people calling in from Google and they've just Googled like we're in Albion in Brisbane and they're like Albion massage and they'll come in and, and they sometimes have no idea what we're doing. Um, like someone's like, I don't, not after anything too hard. Like I just want to like a massage. And I'm like, okay, like I can do that. But that's like, you're not in the place where that's what, yeah, that's not our deal. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, yeah, it usually people self filter. I really like that concept. That's pretty much us. But because of other ways people can hear about you through Google and just random, yeah, ways like that. Yeah. People sometimes come in with weird, weird ideas what we're going to do. Yeah. It's not the best use of your time then. No, it's not. I'm still cool with it. It's nice to meet people and, and get in touch with that side of it too. But yeah. I, my thing is I want to spend my time working with people who are trying to get somewhere, do something and achieve something. Yeah. That would give you much more uh, kind of like job satisfaction, I'm sure, than helping someone relax for an hour, which is nothing uh, wrong with that. But Yeah, there's not. Like there are times you still do that. And it is, it's a nice thing to be able to help someone with whatever. But uh, like I love lifting and I want to see people fucking crush it. So that's always going to be what I want to spend my time doing. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Are there any common problems you typically see in powerlifters that you guys are like working on very yeah. regularly? Heaps. We've got like overextension issues with their lower back, um, like really tight through QLs and like upper glutes and stuff like that. Um, upper glutes, like glute meat and men. Um, TFL, like anti- anterior hip pain a lot of the time and, and really front of the shoulder pain. These are the big ones um, for all the reasons we were talking about at the start. Like the lifts just don't work well with each other. And, and easy compensation patterns that occur when you go really heavy. Um, you will overextend on a squat and you will have your shoulder come over a little bit on a really hard bench and that just over time causes drama. Yeah. For powerlifters listening, uh, what sorts of things should they be looking out for? Um, so they're like, okay, this thing's happened. Now I know I need to go and see a sports massage clinic. Hmm. Um, things to look out for. I think... Little things like if you're finding yourself, you're trying to get under a squat bar and you've realized it's just taking you a really long time to get a position that feels really good, you should probably start thinking about, I need to go in and get some work done. My shoulders are probably binding up and what that's going to do to your squat is going to be a negative thing over time. Hmm. So that's kind of an early warning. If you're having a hard time achieving positions, basically, or if you're noticing like those early signs of like, it's starting to feel a little bit weird. I won't, I won't call it yet. It's not a problem. It's not a scannable injury. When you feel it, just go and get it checked out and, and have a chat about like why that's occurring. Yeah. Because things are way easier to prevent than they are to treat. 
Absolutely. You want to get it in that stage before it becomes something, something real. When it's just like a myofascial pain, yeah. that's really easy. Um, but when it gets to that point where you're like, okay, you, you've done this so many times now, you've probably overloaded uh, some a joint or that you've got some bursitis now from that shoulder position you've repetitively been in, that's way harder to work with than just, oh, you've got some anterior shoulder pain. We'll just needle your pec and your infra and your anterior delt and you'll be probably sweet. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's so frustrating as a coach when I say to my clients, like they give me feedback on this niggle and that, and I'm like, you definitely should go to a physio and just see what's going on. They're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's not that bad. I'm like, I never said it was that bad. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, and they're like, no, 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 no. Like it's because it's not debilitating their life. Some people just don't take it seriously and they end up with a really fucking serious injury because a little bit by little bit, like injuries typically don't just happen overnight unless it's like a car crash or something like that these sort of like repetitive strain injuries, they happen slowly and we shouldn't be waiting until we get to the point that we have to stop training completely before we sort, sort it out. Um, so yeah. So even when niggles are small and it doesn't seem like an emergency, what you're saying is it's still important. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just, there needs to be an acknowledgement that we're in a sport of repetitive strain. Yeah. It's just going to be something that you, you just should build it into your routine. I don't think there's anyone who, who, is training on the big loads repetitively all the time with a set schedule of having to do this stuff. I think you just really should make it a part of your recovery schedule to do. Yeah. Can you needle your own forearms? Speaking of repetitive strain. Yeah. yeah. I don't cause it hurts <laughs> <laughs> and I would rather somebody else do it so that I don't have to watch myself do it. But yeah, I can. That is such a weird phenomenon where you can like uh, receive pain from somebody else to a certain degree, but yeah. to inflict it on yourself is such a different, different thing. It sucks being in control of that. I would, I just much rather turn away and let it happen. It's like the whole trigger ball thing, you know. Like I just put this ball. I'm like, yeah, but every time I sit on that ball, that hurts. So why would I continue to yeah. do that? <laughs> um, Maddie, our uh, motto for this podcast is how to be less shit. You know, we're nice people. We like to t- we like to be a bit soft with our. Um... Dean wanted to make it how to be better or something, and I was like, nah. <laughs> we get to use the poo emoji if we go with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we've um, we've had the we've had the uh, the privilege of having on uh, an osteo that we like here on the Gold Coast, uh, a Cairo that we like in Sydney, and now we have a masseuse that we like in Brisbane. How can clients be less shit when they come to you and then start to explain like the pathology or the pain that they have, so that you can do your job better? Um, be less shit when they're explaining it. <laughs> Well, I mean, something that, that, that happens a lot with anyone of us is we've probably gone to Google, you know, a lot, and we've come up with some preconception of what's going on already. Um, I mean, the best thing anyone could do is show you some videos of where it would hurt, you yeah. know, because if, if it only hurts when you bench, then, and you can't reproduce that pain by certain ranges of motion, then that probably is implying there's a problem with that bench. We could start looking at the muscles that are causing problems to create that position. So whenever there's a video, it's fucking awesome. Um, it really helps. And I'm a bit of a stalker for our clients anyway, so I check out as much as I can and try and be ready. But um, it really helps if there's a video where I'm like, yeah, this is the one that hurt. And you can actually kind of analyze it with them and, and get to an understanding around it because like, I really want them to understand you didn't just wake up and you had this thing and there's no causative action from yourself. Like There was something that you did that made it like this or you did too much one day and you know. So it really helps to be less shit when they uh, have some evidence of when it hurts. So we can talk about that movement that hurt instead of just, yeah, it hurts here, but only sometimes and I can't make it happen right now. Yeah. It's such a common thing to, uh, so I've got shoulder pain. Okay, cool. Tell me more about that. It hurts here. Yep. Yeah. Can you fix that? But not right oh, now. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. You well, in those cases, we we have a bit of a we have a bit of a global like powerlifting session that we would do with someone who's who's in those situations. Yeah. So like if someone just comes in and they're like, I've got shoulder pain when I bench, I'm like, all right. Given the thousands of people I've seen with anterior shoulder pain when they bench, let's do these things. There's no time that upper trap work and pec work is bad for a lifter, so let's work on that. Um, but the conversation when you're doing it is always going to be aimed at like. What are you thinking about when you're benching? How do you warm up? And trying to kind of get some information out of them in that time to add a bit more value to it because they might not know. Some people aren't aware of the processes that they go through when they're lifting. They're just pushing it, coming down and coming up. As long as they touch their chest, whatever happens in between is all good. So 
I try to get people to understand there's more going on than just down and up and you need to be considerate of those or else you'll just literally run into random issues that are unpredictable. So, yeah. yeah. I love that. I think that was practical and very helpful. Yeah, that's, that's um, super cool because like, you're quite obviously specific then on knowing what the movement patterns are. Right. Yeah, dude. I mean, if someone's getting hurt on a hammer strength chest press, I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> that's weird body stop lifting stuff. I don't know <laughs> yeah. um, cool then uh, it brings us into the final segments now first segment is whether or not you have anything you think is worth sharing something worth sharing for the, the people that are listening doesn't have to be relevant to massage or powerlifting but it can okay. be yeah um, alright something worth sharing there's a podcast I listen to that I refer most of my clients to um, and it's all about helping people understand um, I guess a process orientation and how you can learn skills that are valid in your life and that will produce results that are different than the ones you're getting right now. Uh, and that podcast is called Impact Theory. It's by the guy that made Quest Nutrition. His name's Tom Bilyeu. It's really cool. Inter- in, uh, interviews really awesome people like David Goggins. I saw you guys did the review on that. Um, yeah, it's an awesome podcast. I recommend it to anyone. It's not specifically sports related, but it's so it's so worth listening to for anyone who's trying to do something that's not, you know, easy. Yeah, cool. Mm. Just to be clear, that was impact theory. So what you said? Impact theory, yeah. Yeah, cool. And that's just like a podcast channel, not a specific podcast? Uh, no, it's a podcast channel. They've got like a YouTube channel too. Um, yeah, it's really cool. He does a lot of health theory stuff too, but that like he's got some weird ideas about that that I'd be interested in your opinion. Okay. He's, he's pretty keto because he's all about the cognitive benefits of that. Um, so I don't really know too much about it, so I don't really do it. but. Yeah. Ignoring that, he's awesome. Okay. <laughs> we will ignore that. Yeah, remember his um, original uh, quest, haha. <laughs> yes. Was yeah. to try and improve, yeah, global health or American health through appropriate snacks that weren't just sugar and carbohydrate laden, which is where that bar came from. Yeah. Whether or not he's still in that world, I don't know, like, because obviously money talks, but mm. I haven't listened to any of his stuff in years. But I, I even watched a little doco on when they first bought their. Um, this massive machine from Russia, I think, to try and generate more bars. And it turned yeah. out that when they bought it, they spent all of this money on it. They had no money left. And then it, it replicated, or so it couldn't even replicate the speed that they could do it as humans. Wow. And they were just like, ah, fuck. But then they yeah. used one, I think they reverse engineered it and then made it like a really good one. And it's a really cool little story because they did exceptionally well very early. What sort of bars are we talking about here? Quest bars. Oh, right. Yeah. Nutrition, yeah. So I heard him talk about this and he said, like a, because their whole thing is they want to end metabolic disease by having snacks that people could eat that would be have no sugar in them or minimal sugar but tasted like it did. And like, I don't understand why this hasn't happened. Most people have just tried to bump up the protein instead of having less sugar or lower the sugar but still really just peeps. Um, and he said, so they met that was their concept. And then they went to like manufacturers and the manufacturers, like, oh, yeah, I get it. I know why this doesn't happen because none of the machines can function with the ingredients you're talking about. They need that corn syrup to make this work and he's like you can make it by hand but it's just going to be really not scalable so they had to create their own like machine they had to make it from scratch and that's what every other company was like we can't do this because the machine doesn't exist the machine doesn't do it so they yeah. created their own one and that's how yeah quest went from like nothing to a billion dollars like they blew up overnight oh yeah they were nuts yeah man Crazy. yeah and he's out of it now he sold it i think for like a billion bucks or something like that at the time. Oh man, what do you do with that sort of money? You uh, become a philanthropist. Oh, good for him. Yeah. That's imagine. great. I don't know if he did. I'm oh, saying, oh you okay, right. You just go all Bill Gates on it. Although Bill Gates is like up in the 120 billions. Well, his, his thing now is he's trying to make like, um, he's trying to be like the next Disney, but instead of being like happy movies, it's going to be like empowerment. So, right, yeah. I didn't know really? that about Bill Gates. No, Quest. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're mixing, we're mixing people. Here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I no, I heard that. That's cool. Yeah, that's a super cool idea. Oh, that's cool. I like right. it. Off the serious stuff, onto the fun stuff. All right, Dean. All right, question one of two before we move on to the fire final round is, Maddie, do you practice any weird habits or hobbies that would surprise us? Or rituals, Dean, you're a lifter. Uh, yeah, man, I listen to Thunderstruck literally on repeat every time I go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. I started it. I started it before a big comp because I was like, they're going to fucking play it and I don't want to stress out when it comes on. So I'm going to desensitize myself to it. Nice. And now it's just a thing that I do. Like it's, yeah, it's recorded on my car. So I just go and play it. And did they play it? Yeah. They, who doesn't play that at a powerlifting meet? It's definitely yeah, it's a powerlifting <laughs> comp. It's so true. Yeah. Although it has also now become like my thing. People put it on when I come in because they're like, 
Matt likes Thunder Strike, which is the opposite of what I was after. But yeah. So now you're fully, de- you've gone past desensitization to this, like embracing it. It's part of it now. I have to have it on. <laughs> have you ever not in the last X amount of months or years? What, listen to Thunderstruck on the way to the yeah, gym? Not listen to it on the way to the gym? Nah, dude. Even if, even if Maddie's driving me, she'll put it on her car on like Spotify because she knows <laughs> that I, I like it. That is a strong, strong ritual. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> um, second question is, it's your last 24 hours on earth. What do you do if you're tired? Oh, what do I do? I probably want to check my maxes. So <laughs> I'd, I'd probably go in and train and, and just do all three and get my final uh, 1RMs out. Um, no, I'd, 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 I'd spend time with Henry, Maddie, walk my dog, try and figure out why it's my last 24 hours and change that. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't change it. You've got 24 hours. You're going to die. But you know what? Spending time with Henry, the most beautiful canine on earth, is a great way to spend your time. Yeah. He's a, yeah. Good, one. He's a yeah. good dude. For those watching on YouTube, uh, just behind Matt's head is actually a little artwork of Mr. Henry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Very... Christmas no, Christmas Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Tributes to him around the house. Matt and Maddie take Henry as seriously as Liz and I do, Ruben. Yeah. Like yeah. they're, 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 the, they're the babies of the family. They are. They're the children. Do you and Maddie want children? Is that too personal to ask? Yeah, we're trying now. Yeah, okay. it's just like when that happens. Yeah, hopefully Will soon. Will Henry still be the favourite child? <laughs> I'm concerned about that. I don't know how that's going to go. Henry's, Henry's definitely irreplaceable. I wonder if he's going to get mega jealous. Yeah. Yeah, because at the moment, like, he is our child. So, like, it, how baby fits into this, I'm not sure. Yeah, mm. man, we we um adopted, no, we, fostered. Adopt, we fostered a blind dog momentarily, right at one stage from the shelter. That Her name does Ethel. She was so yeah. That Liz does um volunteer work at, and Ruben initially was all right, like not too bad. Like took a bit to get used to her. Then he was all right, and then like randomly he started like having these weird like choking noises in the morning when we'd see him. And, like, we didn't know really what was going on. And, like, I said to Liz, it seems unusual. We took him into the vet and they're like, that sound sounds like his, like, throat is collapsing. His esophagus is collapsing. Right? So, like, he'd go to breathe, but then it'd be, he'd start, like, choking, essentially. Yeah. And then we're trying to, like, figure out, like, what could this possibly be from? And they're, like, saying, oh, it's usually only this very serious issue, you know? Like, oh, this happens from high-stress situations. And like, then Liz and what I is stressing your dog out? Liz and I looked at each other and we're like, fuck, we think it might be Ethel. And I shit you not, the moment we got, the moment she got actually fostered, uh, properly adopted, adopted, he stopped immediately. Yeah. His stress was just so high from having to share attention with the second dog. Yeah. So we've, Maddie's nan just got a Westie, a little baby puppy, uh, Westie named Benji. And he came to our house for the first time. We've never had another dog in our apartment. And as soon as he came in, Henry's six kilos. He's a little dog. He was fucking dribbling and salivating like crazy, like just literally flowing out of his mouth. I've never seen him do it. He's not a dribbler. And as soon as Benji left, it was gone. I'm Googling him like, okay, he's just really stressed. Yeah. And then oh, my God. Yeah, it's just a really weird stress response. I'm like if it's a baby. Oh, I guess that means that you just have to be really like cautious of letting Henry know that you still love him when there's another baby around. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of parents who want to adopt a child, so I could always just get rid of the baby. It's true. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Great attitude. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, Maddie. This game is shitty choices, as people know that have listened before. It's a would you rather game. The only rule is is that Liz only gets she gets she gets a, a dump card if it's terrible, and if it's a question we've already asked somebody else, she gets to throw it away too. Uh, Matt, would you rather publicly announce every time you have to poop, or never use your phone again while pooping? Um, <laughs> shit, I do some pretty productive work with my phone. Uh, yeah, publicly announced I have to poop every time. Okay. Yeah. What if like you're at a wedding, a funeral? <laughs> yeah, look, there's cost to this kind of thing, and I'm willing to bear that. <laughs> yeah, what do you if you're just like in in the act with with the missus, and like you have this verge? It's it's a weird thing to get at that time. I imagine you're just like I have to poop. It's so weird. <laughs> it's not very sexy. Well, there's some choice involved there. You can just hold it in until after. It's true. So maybe it's just to the last minute. You know, as you're yeah. going, you have to let everybody know that, that. you're about to go to the toilet. You know, like I have the intention that I'm about to go. This is happening. Yeah. I think the most embarrassing time would be if you're like at the shops by yourself and you have to announce it to like random <laughs> strangers around you. Uh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Just for uh, anybody that's listening at home who wants to find out who you are, and where you're at, how do we find you? Uh, you can find us on socials at Axiom Performance Recovery. I'm at Matt underscore Stendhal on Instagram and our website's 
www.axiom-recovery.com. Mate, you said that so well, it was almost like you had been practicing. Yeah, dude. That's <laughs> a lot. I always say hyphen. It's a really commonly used word. Um, <laughs> for anybody who knows the difference between a dash and a hyphen, can you let us know? We've had some problems and this is what we've come to. <laughs> now, Liz is going to lose it, so I'm going to wrap this up for everybody. You can always find us at the same place, www.flexsuccess.com.au, no dash or hyphen. <laughs> Um, and you can find us on uh, Instagram, flex underscore success. Just so people don't think we're mad, we're, we're going to have to edit out a portion of this podcast because we had a big discussion on the difference between hyphens and dash, and I'm losing my mind. So I apologize, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, until next podcast. Thanks. Thanks, guys.